0: Hey guys! Welcome to episode 2 of Solo Female Travel. This is your host, Amanda R. We're exactly a week out from episode 1 being posted, and I'm feeling optimistic about the schedule thus far. I'd like to stay on a weekly track here, um... I also got a lot of great feedback from people that I sent the podcast out to to listen to um, and a new list of questions that I didn't cover in the last episode. So I would really appreciate it if you keep all of that coming. You can DM me at Travel Pod on Instagram and on Twitter or email me at pod at gmail.com. I don't know if listeners to new pods really understand how valuable they are to us as new creators um because it provides us with a lot of content and really we want to just keep it interesting for those of you who are supporting and listening so thank you very much Also, I posted on the Instagram story at Solo Female Travel Pod about um, dog sitting. So I've, I've been dog sitting for the past few days, and so I've been inside a house, which feels really strange. But we got a pretty uh, gnarly storm here in Central Oregon, and so it was really perfect timing, and it was like r- just uh, perfect to come into a house and uh, enjoy a wood stove and some warmth and TV that's bigger than the size of my phone. So so I'm, uh, I'm in Enjoying time here. You might be able to hear the dogs in the background. I've got uh, Wiley and Huckleberry, a uh, beautiful silver lab and a uh, golden retriever on top of my two dogs. We've been dealing with a little bit of behavioral stuff between um, Huckleberry, the youngest of the two that I'm sitting, and my youngest Flint. But they both still have their balls and they both want to be in charge. As my friend said, everybody with balls wants to be in charge. So, <laughs> can they be blamed? The answer is yes, they can, but we love them anyway, both dogs who still have their balls and men, right? So if you listen to episode one and you're back for more, just to let you know, we are going to just continue um, with a series of questions this week, and unless one or, well, multiple people ask me to adjust the style, I think that, um, this is a good way to communicate with everybody for now, and, like I said, let me know. And y'all really gotta start, like, if you want me to mention you via your handle on social media or by first name, uh, please let me know because otherwise it's just going to be a random question read. And so um, view it as like, yo, you want to get a shout out? You got to say your name. Otherwise, nobody's going to know who it came from. Are you going to know for sure that it was your question that I read? Unless you say something very um, distinct <laughs> in that question. I think there might be a few in this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's get started. Hey! Welcome to Solo Female Travel, a weekly campfire chat about the experience of transforming from an outsider to a woman of power. Paying respect to the great motherfucking outdoors. I'm your host, Amanda R., proudly crushing rural America as a queer woman of color since 1989. This podcast is inclusive of all genders and exists to hold a space for inspirational community members who are passionate about female empowerment. Out the gate, I'm focused on covering topics that range from outdoors womanship, solo travel, mental health, sex and dating, entrepreneurship, activism, and more. Let's hit the trail, y'all. The first question that I have comes from my friend Julie. She is what we call in the game of womanhood, a bad bitch. (laughs) <laughs> yeah she's a bad bitch she's from the east coast i think the east coasters and midwesterners followed by southerners are some of the coolest fucking people around and so she definitely easily fits into that category she's one of the hardest workers. Well, but she might be the hardest worker i've ever met um but anyway and if you don't know that that means a lot to a midwesterner then i guess you're just not as cool as the rest of us Or an East Coaster. (laughs) But what she asked me to do, because she is, she's someone who has lived out of a a vehicle with her partner for years now. And um, she thought that it would be important, and I agree with her, to mention and explain what Leave No Trace means. So Leave No Trace, or often abbreviated as LNT. It's a set of outdoor principles that was created by the Leave No Trace Center of Outdoor Ethics that promotes conservation in the outdoors. And this set of ethics consists of seven principles, and I'm going to list those below. If you are already familiar with LNT, Leave No Trace, go ahead and skip to 20 minutes and you should be back on track for the more entertaining portion of this episode. So the first principle of LNT is plan ahead and prepare. This could mean a lot of things. I think it means... Like, as, as it applies to LNT, it means to check regulations and postings for the area where you're camping. So, I mean, if you have access to a ranger, talk to a ranger about the regulations in the area where you're camping. And those could be, like, regulations regarding food storage and fire. Um, and postings are, like... Usually you'll get to a spot and there will be a sign. Often you'll get to a spot and there will be a sign, especially if you're in any type of area that's close to some sort of civilization. And they'll tell you whether or not you're allowed to have a fire or whether or not to camp overnight. I mean, a lot of people think that because you're in a BLM or a national forest that you can just camp wherever you want. But the reality is that you really should still be aware and looking around for signs because they'll tell you if there's an area that they've um, designated for for day use or you know just not camping overnight and when you see those signs just listen or just read them and apply them to like your your actions go ahead and move somewhere else if it says no camping there's really no need to be obstinate and um, rebellious as far as this is concerned because if you're already in an area that has dispersed camping um it won't it won't be very far from wherever you are to just move away and camp there principle two Travel and camp on durable surfaces. And what this means is you should avoid creating a new trail and you should camp on packed ground and you should avoid setting up a tent on top of any vegetation. Um, the, The reason that this is important is because, okay, so I'm not sure how many people are familiar with trail building but there, there is a reason that trails are built the way that they are. And if you follow those trails, you're definitely going to be not, you're not complying with a rule for no reason. Rules generally have a reason. Um, you're complying with a rule because that is the, that they've developed the trail where it is in the way that is the most sustainable for the way that the ground um the, the way that the ground is in the area where you are. So it may have, it usually has a lot to do with water and the way that it runs. So unless you're familiar with, um, um, the degradation of the earth, you probably should just listen to the sign if it's not your study. And if it is your study, really, I mean, just, I guess just do what you're told. So there's, a. There is a thing called a desire line. So I don't know if you're familiar when you're out for a hike somewhere in an area where a trail has already been developed and you see a little trail that kind of cuts between say like a switchback. That's called a desire line and that means that it's a route that someone who was very ambitious and probably cocky decided I don't need to follow the switchback. What I'm going to do is just cut right through even though it's steeper. I'm going to cut right through this part of the trail that I am on up to the next part of the trail. And that's not really, uh, necessary because not only does it require more effort on your part to go up a steeper grade, but it's just not the trail that's designed for you. And, um, you're already very lucky and privileged to be out enjoying nature. And I think that's an important mindset to apply to being out and hiking and just absorbing everything that the silence, the solitude, and the the uh, pleasure that nature has to offer. So yeah, Um, go ahead and travel on trails that are already developed. And as far as hard surfaces go and not camping on top of vegetation, you want to camp in already developed areas whenever possible because you don't want to encourage anyone who came behind you to camp on top of vegetation because that vegetation is important to the ecosystem where you're at. So go ahead and Uh, this advice is to just use a space that's already packed dirt. Principle three. Dispose of waste properly. Waste includes food, trash, and human waste, as well as pet waste. So we'll start with food. Um, I've camped with a lot of people who do not find issue with peeling an orange or an apple or an egg and just disposing of the shells right where they're camping, or the peels wherever they're camping. However, um, the idea that I like to use in order to keep my impact minimal is that anything that I consume, I keep with me. And that actually really does um, minimize the impact that you have on the land around you. So, yeah, food, please just dispose of it properly. You can put it in the same the same container with your your trash and your waste. Trash, same thing. Do not throw trash of any kind on the ground and leave it there. That should be pretty obvious, I feel, but it's really not. I can't tell you how many times I've showed up to a piece of land that looked perfect for camping and then there was there were scraps of toilet paper or scraps of cardboard or something something that somebody used and they did not feel like packing out and disposing of. And they just left it there for the next person to use. And usually that's pretty uncomfortable. I try to move on from a place like that and then return back and take care of that later, uh, picking up after someone else, which is frustrating but definitely worth it. It makes you feel good about yourself. Um, anytime that you are disposing of waste you should be 200 feet away from your campsite or any water source um so we talked about pooping outside in the last episode and I think that we covered some pretty good ground cat holes are something that can be used um to bury your poop and your toilet paper they have tools there are tools that are sold in order to make disposal like or to dig that hole um easier for you but I just I just can't i just do not feel comfortable recommending it i think that packing your feces out is actually the the most responsible way to do it and there are definitely resources online to help you to learn how to do that in a way that is safe for you and safe for the environment principle number four is leave what you find that is very self-explanatory if you're out and you find something that looks cool and you want to take it with you Don't. Number five. Minimize campfire impact. Um, Okay, so a good way to do this is to check regulations. We talked about that at the end of last episode. Check regulations for food, storage, and for fire. Um, Only use designated uh, fire rings. So... You see a fire ring? that's what you use especially if you're not informed in the uh way of fire you need to make sure that you're using something that you're aware of if you're going to build a fire pit you should definitely um clear the ground from anything flammable with it, with around like a five foot radius around your where you want to set up your campfire and then if you're going to gather wood uh gather dead wood um, things that are already on the ground they 're ideal um, and just don 't <laughs> I think that it, I think that it would be very informative to do a lot of research about how to have fire um, in on national land. Uh, for you to feel comfortable doing that. I don't think that anybody should go into building a fire carelessly, especially because, like I said last episode, so many resources and taxpayer dollars go into th- go into the funding of wildfire management. Um, when you do get done burning your fire, burn the coals down to ashes. And then once those ashes have cooled, spread them out within the ring that you've created for your area. If you have any further questions, which I'm hoping somebody does, about how to have a safe and responsible fire, please DM me at Solo Female Travel Pod on Instagram or Twitter or at female Travel Pod at gmail.com. I would be happy to go over the findings that I have from the internet or from the experience that I have working in this fire suppression industry. And please, please note that if you're going to be hiking, camping overnight, that it's important to check regulations in the area where you are for food storage. Um, A lot of campsites, even on public land, will have bare boxes or containers, and those usually have instructions written on the outside of the container about how to safely store your food inside those boxes. They're usually close to the campsite, Um, but if you're in an undeveloped campsite on public land, there are ways to safely store your food. A bag is one way, and you would hang that from a tree. Um, if you need more details about how to do that safely, please message me. Um, but the reality is that you're not just protecting bear, but you're protecting... All of the wildlife in your area, whether a squirrel or a bird or a mountain lion, a cat or a fox or a coyote. We don't want to introduce these types of wildlife to human food because it makes them more comfortable around the scent of human food and brings them closer to human civilization and also to a developed campsite where someone might be staying and so you want to minimize the interactions that you have with wildlife certainly from certainly from the campsite where you're staying you really don't want to be that close to any type of wildlife number six is respect wildlife it seems simple but a lot of times if you don't really know or you're not familiar or comfortable with being around wildlife okay so imagine that you're in your house and someone is interested in you because you're very interesting and you're very beautiful, they want to take photos of you, and they want to be close to you, but there's only a certain level of comfort that you'll have with someone being very close to you. I think the animals are the same way. You need to make sure that you're not feeding them, and you definitely need to make sure... That you're not following them because nobody likes to be stalked. Have we ever been stalked? Yeah. Everybody's been stalked by somebody and it's uncomfortable and it feels wrong. Do not stalk wildlife. They don't know you. You're a stranger. It's creepy. Don't do it. Okay? Please, for God's sake, do not follow wildlife anywhere. Um, keep your pets in line, especially when wildlife is involved. You don't really want them to be accustomed to domestic pets, and you don't want them to be accustomed to you. That's the most important. You really do not want them to be accustomed to you as a person, because the more comfortable that wildlife is around people, the greater threat that they are to you, your home, and to your children and your animals so just keep your distance so that they are they maintain their fear because that's a healthy fear they really shouldn't be around people because even if you're nice and you would never shoot someone you don't want a coyote or something running up to a random person and then being shot by that person who has a very trigger happy index finger and the last and seventh principle is be considerate of other visitors Okay, um, this, I don't know what this means to you, but to me, it means if you're gonna camp, you're setting up camp, camp well off of the trail. Make sure that you are not within the line of sight of someone walking the trail, at least not the immediate sight of those people, and when you're hiking on the trail yield to uphill hikers, and to stock. I don't know if you've ever been on a trail when you're trying to get up a hill, and it's grueling, and it's frustrating, and you see someone coming down the trail. They don't get off of the trail, and you have to get off of the trail carrying, say, whatever weight you're carrying. If it's just a day pack, or you're on a multi-day backpacking trip, nobody wants to be slowed down when you're carrying weight, even if it's just your own body weight going up a hill. If someone's coming down, the polite thing to do if you are on the downhill trajectory is to step off of the trail and let that person walking up the hill pass you and then continue on the trail. Um, you definitely should respect the other users of the land when they're camping. If there's someone camping next to you or close to you, try to apply the same rules that you would. I mean, like, there are cutoff times for noise within cities. Um you know, don't be loud. I mean, nobody's out there because they want to hear other people. I, for Personally, when I go outside and I'm camping and I'm living within the trees, I do not want someone yelling and screaming where I can hear them because I'm out there because I want to be alone. Also, control your pets. Make sure that they're not attacking anybody else's pets or they're not following somebody else. And if they are, make sure that you're considerate of that person's feelings and you're able to control and recall that animal whenever possible.
1: Leave no trace, bitches. All right, y'all, so we're back, and
0: we're going into something called the dating segment. Um, I, uh, (laughs) I'm not totally sure why, but I really like to include, uh, dating advice in this because, mm, girl, girls, y'all, men, people, I have been single for three years now, and, um... Dating is important to me. So, and a lot of people ask me for my advice about dating, which I think is funny because I'm still single. I've been single for three years, like I said. Um, I don't know really what advice y'all think I have, but apparently I have some because you keep asking me. So, (laughs) the questions that I received, um, in the DMs on IG regarding dating, let's start with number one. How do you communicate with people dating with no service? Oh my god. Okay. So I find this question interesting or just a little bit more complex because I'm not dating as in uh, normal dating. Um, The partners that I have are usually casual and like I've said before, I've been limiting that as much as possible because um, coronavirus is real and it kills people, which means that I have to be careful with the people that I select in terms of having sex with. Um, so I have uh, partners that I have sex with, but I'm not seriously dating at this point. Um, and <laughs> I think that it, I think that uh, the question that was asked regarding no service. Uh, the answer depends on the capacity in which you're dating the person you're dating. So, um, if I'm dating someone that I feel the most compatible with, which is someone who is familiar with the outdoor lifestyle and familiar with having no service, um, I can't take it too personally if that person doesn't reply to me right away. it, I'm not gonna pretend that there are moments. There are moments when I have service and I haven't heard from someone, and I get concerned and I become worried that they're not no longer interested in me. But the reality is that none of that is personal. Um, you have to uh, approach each person that you're seeing in the way that they have expressed themselves to themselves to you. So I am 31 years old, which means that I generally date men the same age or older than me. And a lot of those men have children and busy lives. And um, to me, that means that I have to not be as concerned as I would be if I were much younger and in my 20s. But, you know, think about the person that you're seeing and think about the person that they've told you that they are, are they a busy person? Okay, well, they might not have the amount of time that you want them to have to reply to your messages. Um, And they may also be... Say they're, say they're your same age, say you're younger than me or in your 20s or something like that. Just consider what is it, what is it that they've told you about themselves. If it's not much, don't get lost in fantasy. If you're making up a story about who they are and what it is that they have in their life. Um, because they have not told you, it's important to remember that and remember that what it is that you're projecting from your past traumas onto that person. So, if you're used to, uh, an absent father who is, like, unemotional, maybe it's important to remember that not all men are going to be your dad. Um, and it might be important to remember that, um, each person that you are encountering is has their own set of traumas we are all familiar with men we're all familiar with with they often mistreat women but it's uh important to remember that um you know what it is that you need and if you feel like you need something more than you're getting from somebody then then it's up to you to assess that and to talk to that person more in-depth about whether or not you're getting from them what you need, and if you're not, or if they don't respond well to you expressing your needs, it's very important to just move on. Um, Just move on because, you know, there are a lot of billions of people on this planet, and that one that you're thinking about probably is not your, uh, not your everything. So take a deep breath with me in through the nose, And out through the mouth. And repeat that as many times as you need. To calm yourself. And realize that. Every night that you're with yourself. Is a night that you know yourself better. And so when I don't have service. um, I again like. I have said. Repeated many times. Throughout the episode one. And this episode. Compatibility is very important. So. So. Even though I might not hear from somebody right away, it's important to remember for me that I, those people may not be hearing back from me right away either. So sometimes days go by without service and there's just no point in trying to text and you just do it when you get around to it. And um, yeah, and ideally you're talking to somebody that gets that. Um, and if, it's a, if dating is in a casual capacity, it doesn't matter so much anyway, because a person's really not obligated to let you know what they're doing all the time, and you're not obligated to let them know what you're doing all the time. So, yeah. Evaluate where you're at, what the status of your connection with the person is. The dating segment, question number two. Okay, this person is trying to get smacked, I think. Um, they ask, you talk a lot about packaging. Do you use condoms with limited packaging, too? <laughs> okay. Okay. Fucking smart ass. Um, I just use magnum only, motherfucker. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I, def- <laughs> I definitely uh, just am not a size queen, uh, I don't think. But, um, uh, I just use some uh, good old-fashioned condoms. Uh, fully packaged. <laughs> what are your pronouns, and what is your sexual orientation? Okay, I don't recommend asking people what their sexual orientation is, but because I really am not, like, um, you know, <clears throat> too hung up on, on people being interested in information about me, um, I my pronouns are she, her, and my secu- sexual orientation, I think... I think, it's, I think it can be fluid um, for me, but just depending on what I'm dealing with in my life, what I prefer. Uh, but I think pansexual probably um, is the closest I can say at this point. I'm attracted to everybody, I really like to have a connection, and I like, I like compatibility, so if I am hanging out with somebody that um, gets me and we're sexually attracted to each other, um, then, you know, if it's right for both of us, then I'll have sex with them. Um, I usually just evaluate people that I'm around and categorize them in my mind for people that I do or do not want to have sex with or could or could not see myself being sexually involved with them. Um, so that should answer that. Jeff sent this question through. Will you marry me and have my babies? (laughs) Uh, um, No. Mm Mm-mm. Hell no. You want me to, like, get pregnant and then spend my pregnancy living in the forest and then have a little fucking forest baby? Like, in what world does that make sense? Are you just gonna come out and, like, visit visit the forest baby and visit me and then go back to your house? I mean, the (laughs) fuck? I kind of feel like I was already married. I was in a nine-year relationship through my 20s, and, um... I mean, I wasn't technically married. We were just in a civil union, I guess. Um, But that was a very toxic and unhealthy partnership, so I'm not really interested in trapping myself into something at this point. I don't know. Maybe my perspective on marriage would change if uh, I, I met the right person that really wanted it. I don't see... Needing it so much for myself, but you know sometimes you partner up with people who have you know different things are more important to them than they are to you so um so no, I won't marry you jeff um because we're not even dating <laughs> and uh and I uh, don't want it bad enough to just go looking for it everywhere but um the that's a that's a flattering question, and no, I won't have your babies um i won't I'm not really planning on having anybody's babies um <laughs> I you never can say never or shouldn't say never um because you don't know I don't know how I'm gonna feel you know in five ten years but um at this point it just doesn't really I don't see it for myself I like being an auntie um, to like my friends children or my own nieces and nephews um, I like uh, sometimes you know like if I I've dated uh, people with children um, pretty seriously and when it's finally appropriate to uh meet up with their kids I like their kids you know um I just think that in that capacity I'm I'm a better support to those those people or to those little people so I don't know I just don't really see it for myself but um yeah you know have you ever done sex work yes I have um with two different men, uh, one man, um, I didn't really, it was more of a trade for, um, trade for goods, a trade of service for goods rather than money, um, so yes, I've done that, uh, with that person, and then there is one person that, he's an older gentleman, that, um, Thankfully, it's a a no-contact situation. Usually what he does is he calls me up from where he lives and asks me to talk him off over the phone. So, (laughs) that's nice. Um, uh, What he does is, uh, now that I live outside, he will put me up in a hotel um, and then call me. (laughs) And uh, all I have to do is, like, um, rub one out um, and just the sound of like the female orgasm gets him off which i mean you really couldn't ask for an easier couldn't ask for an easier uh job so <laughs> i have that person that i've i have continued i've maintained that connection with him because it's beneficial for both of us and very easy on me but it's not something that i do regularly for my day job um yeah just fulfilling needs on either end So you said that life is slow living out of your car, but then you also said that you're not bored. How are you not bored if life is so slow? Okay, so life is trippy um, because it's slow and it's fast at the same time for me. So it's, it's slow. the thing about life that's slow for me uh, living out of my car is that when I am collecting those resources, it takes a longer period of time to accomplish each task but it's fast in that the day moves by more quickly because of how long each task takes so I don't know if that makes sense but hopefully it does Um, I guess I would just say that I do less things in a day which sometimes makes it feel like the time is going by more slowly but each day doesn't necessarily move by more slowly so I I think that might be sufficient answer if not, I mean, yeah, just hit me up. <laughs> how do you receive mail if you live out of your car? Good question. So, even though I talk and go on and on about how much I like to be alone, um, I actually, actually, living outside requires networking with people and being kind to people because this is where they come in very handy and. If someone is your friend and they understand and support your lifestyle, asking them if you can receive mail at their house shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, So I would say that you have to surround yourself with enough people who um, are supportive of you and don't mind letting you do that, doing that favor for you. So um, I have friends who are supportive and say... Yeah, if you need to receive mail, you can receive mail here. Also, you could get a post office box after receiving mail at that person's house. Because I think all that's required to get the post office box is a piece of mail with an address on it. And then you have to pay them. It might be like one or two pieces of mail. Um, because they want to know that there's a permanent address where you can be reached. But um, but yeah, that's how, that's how they um, allow that. And I've done that before too. You said that you were in a cult, and then you didn't elaborate. What are we supposed to do with that? Question mark. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so yes, I was raised in a cult. Uh, um, This is a big issue, so I'm not going to tackle the entire thing in this episode. I'm thinking I can answer one cult question per episode for the sake of time. Um, So yes, I was... I was, I was raised in a cult in Central Michigan, um, and I was excommunicated from that cult when I was 18, and you'll never guess what for, sending an appropriate text to a boy. And that boy happened to be the pastor's grandson, so I definitely got kicked out. <laughs> um, and, and when I got kicked out, I was fortunate that my dad... Did not was not a member of that cult, so I had somewhere to go. A lot of people get kicked out of those fundamental um, religious groups where they practice excommunication. What that is is where you're completely cut off from everybody that's in the community the religious community um, because they one of the one of the rules is that the the group has to meet, remain insular, and so they do not um, fraternize with people outside of the cult or people that have been kicked out or, you know, or have left. Um so uh, oftentimes people who are raised in cults like that, um both of their parents are there so they don't have anywhere to go and I was very lucky that uh, I had a way an easy way out um uh, because I didn't have to navigate life completely alone. Um, so I, I was able to adjust. I mean, my father is still a very conservative um, religious person, but not to the same extreme of the place where I was raised. So I did have somewhere to go and get back on my feet and adjust to the real world. Just a small amount of background on the cults. It's, it's a fundamental Christian apocalyptic Style cult, which what that means is that the one of the tools of ma- manipulation for the members that is used by leadership is to implement fear in them of the end of the world um, happening, the apocalypse happening, and um, and so that it's a very it's a super effective tool. It keeps a lot of people there because when you're afraid, you don't really want to make a change. You'd rather stick with what's familiar. So that is that's kind of the basis of the way that they operate. And like I said, we can get into more specific questions in episodes further down the line. This is the last segment, and it's rather large. I was apprehensive to um, discuss this on the podcast just because I don't have any personal experience in this area, but people um, have expressed that one of the biggest um, hurdles to enjoying the outdoors is their fear of large predators, um, and so I I just opted to go ahead and collect some resources from the internet and read them to you. Um, And these are things that I've heard over the years of being, you know, backcountry, like backpacking. Uh, Some of the national parks that you'll visit will make you watch uh, an informational video about how to uh, react if you do encounter a grizzly or mountain lion. So I'm going to just go ahead and um, read this information to everybody and um, do with it what you will. I'll provide the resources at the end of the episode so this is in regards to grizzly bears um... the first things first always carry bear spray Um, in an accessible place because if you actually are in a situation where you're encountering a grizzly, you're not going to have a lot of time to grab it. You don't want to be digging through a backpack or anything like that. Um, And I believe I read that 40 to 50 feet away from the bear uh, is the best distance to try and create a wall of the pepper spray between you and the animal. I've never had to engage uh, bear spray, but I do carry it with Me just because I like, I don't know, I guess it makes me feel safe because I don't carry a gun. So, the second piece of advice don't be stealthy. Basically, like, don't be sneaking around if you think there are bears in the area. make a noise what i always did when i was backpacking was sing. i sing a lot um so i just would if i felt uh, nervous for any reason i just would sing and it would help calm me down and i think make my presence known uh don't if you see a bear that doesn't see you don't like disturb it or try to draw your attention attention its attention to you uh also we've been over this don't leave food unattended um ever. <laughs> don't walk away from your camp with food on the ground, or not packaged or hung from a tree. Um, or in a bear canister. If you do encounter a bear, and and it is paying attention to you, don't run. Um, you're supposed to stand tall and confidently. I've read multiple articles online. Some say, look the bear in the eye. And others say, don't look the bear in the eye. I don't, I think I probably wouldn't. Um, that's just I've read more saying don't look them in the eye than I've read saying to look them in the eye, um, and if the bear does charge and keeps charging you, you're supposed to like hit the ground basically, fall down on the ground, stomach down, and um, lace your fingers over the back of your neck to protect it, protect your neck. Um, and you want to assume the fetal position or lay flat, um, with your knees tucked under your chin to protect your stomach and don't move. If the bear is actually attacking you physically, you're supposed to play dead. And even if the bear, um, uh, attacks and then stops, you're supposed to lay on the ground. I guess they're known to linger around just to like make sure that you're dead. So, I don't know. This article that I was reading said like lay there for 20 minutes. I have no idea how they came up with that amount of time, but I I don't know, it's probably a good amount of time to lay there and calm the fuck down. Um and also you can fight back, like punch the motherfucker in the nose and the eyes. Um it's like a last resort, though. And if you do get free, you're supposed to just back away slowly again. Like, don't run even if it was attacking you and it stopped for whatever reason. And on the topic of black bear, um... The same ground rules kind of apply. Um... Basically, you want to take precautions to just... You really want to prevent anything happening. So... Um, you know food storage make noise while you're hiking carry bear spray um and so yeah some the ground rules for grizzly country hiking apply to hiking where there are black bear around um they are a little bit different behaviorally than than brown bear um so again stand your ground um they're less aggressive black bear are less aggressive um, in general from what I've heard, but you need to demonstrate yourself as large, loud, wave your arms, shout, use sticks, anything you can grab to seem bigger, um, and yeah, don't just don't run. Don't climb a tree. Black bear are really good at climbing trees, so if you climb a tree, you're just, I mean, you don't really have the advantage there. And yeah, again, last resort, you can just fight, fight back. So, that's that's everything that I've collected on Bear. Um, again, I don't have experience with, like, having a negative encounter with Bear. So, this is just information from the internet and things that I've heard other people say. Um, and... I mean, selfishly, I almost didn't want to even talk about it because it's like, yo, if you're scared to go outside because of uh, large predators, then that just means that there's more open space for me. <laughs> I don't have to worry about running into people. But I feel I think that's I think that might be selfish, so I just decided to go with it. And then the second part of the segment is about cats. Um, the information that I found on them it's recommended that you hike with a partner, um, or in a group. It's just like, you're going to be, it's less likely that you'll be attacked if you're in a large group of people. Um, if you're hiking with children, keep them close to you in the middle of your group or in front of you just to avoid, um, having a cat try to pick off your little kid from the back. um, If you come upon a fresh looking kill, it might be something that a cat stashed um, and was coming back for later. Um, So leave it uh, if you see it. And if you see cubs, but you don't see the mom, you're going to want to leave the area right away. You really don't want to be anywhere near your cubs. Yeah, because those uh, moms get real upset when they see you close to their babies. Uh, Don't run. Same as bears. Don't turn your back. You want to back away. Same with bears. This, um, cats, I guess, are different. It says that you're supposed to make eye contact and, like, maintain eye contact with them. Just keep your eye on them. Um, they do move a lot faster than bears, so that kind of makes sense to me, whereas, like, I don't know if it has anything to do with I don't know how they react to eye contact. I I'm just not I'm not somebody who really studies these animals. I probably should know more as much time as I spend outside. Um I'm always happy that I'm like tall, a tall thick person cuz I feel like they're maybe less likely to want to fuck with me than like somebody really small. Um so I would be harder to drag up a tree. But um also, yeah, make loud noises, wave your arms, sticks, try to look as big as you can. Um and I've read, do not play dead with large cats, but protect your neck, stay standing up, don't fall down like you do with bear, um, and fight back, and I would mace a motherfucker, like, they they sell mace as, like, bear mace, um, but, I mean, I don't, why not mace a cat, too, like, if it was actually attacking you uh so that's all the information that i have again like we can update this if anybody has experience in the wild with a ne- having a negative encounter with one of these large predators i'd really appreciate hearing about it we could either we could probably record something do like a voice message recording and upload it to the podcast um or you could just write in and i could read it on a future episode So, hopefully that helps put some people's mind at ease and just understand that these animals don't want to mess with you, um, that's not, like, a priority of theirs to come, to come and, like, eat people, uh, I know there are a lot of movies, like, one of my favorite survival movies is The Edge with Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin, there's, like, a bear that stalks and, and, uh, tries to eat all of them, uh, I love that, I love that movie, um, but, I mean, I, I don't think that, like, stalker killer bears are very common, like, at all. Um, and, oh, yeah, and The Grey with uh Liam Neeson, another really great movie, if you like getting yourself freaked out before you go hiking, <laughs> uh, where these, uh, wolves try to kill and eat a bunch of people, too, and Liam Neeson is the hero. It's pretty amazing! Um... So, yeah, hopefully everybody feels comfortable going out with a little bit more information. And this is all, th- these are all things you could just look up online, too. It's not like this isn't information that I've collected because of experience. Um, but, but again, maybe just hearing a familiar voice talk to you about it can put your mind at ease. And, uh, yeah, always, always do research before you go out into the wilderness. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You made it all the way through episode two of Solo Female Travel. I wanted to let everybody know that next week or uh, a week coming up soon, I'm going to go over... I had a request from someone to go over um, some places that I've camped that I were some of my favorites and some that were not so awesome and the reasons why. Um, if you have any places that you would like to recommend... For listeners, you can go ahead and drop those in an email or on the gram for me, and I'd be happy to let everybody know. Um, Yeah, there are some spots I just will not be talking about because I don't want... I don't want them to get blown up before they will. Eventually, inevitably, they probably will. But I don't want it to be my fault. Mm, That might be a little bit narcissistic, thinking that I have that many people that are listening to me at this point. But, uh, yeah, uh, maybe I probably could share a little bit of information about some cool spots that that y'all might like. So, thank you so much. Appreciate y'all. Hope you have a great week. And I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you until next week. Thank you very much for your support once again. And uh this is where we say goodbye.
1: Why does the sun keep on shining? Why does the sea rush to shore? Don't they know it's the end of the world? Because you don't love me anymore. Why do the birds go on singing? Why do the stars glow above? Don't they know it's the end of the world? It ended when I lost your love. I wake up in the morning and I wonder Everything's the same as it was, I can't understand, no I can't understand, how life goes on the way it does. Why does my heart keep on beating? Why do these eyes of mine cry? Don't they know it's the end of the world? It ended when you said goodbye. The end of the world is for my beautiful,
0: sweet, smart friend Sawyer from Florida. You know you're going through a breakup right now and it feels like the end of the world, but you know it's going to get better and I'm here for you. Love you, babe. Information on Leave No Trace was cited from the Leave No Trace website, and wikipedia.com. And the information about surviving large predator attacks was from treehugger.com.